are very, very excited. We have a guest speaker today, uh, Rob Verdine. He is coming from Cavalry Chapel, Corvallis, all the way in Oregon. So uh, guys, please give him a very warm aloha. We're very excited to have him. Thank you so much, bro. Give me a hug. Uh, I'm a hugger too. So let's pray for the service. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this gorgeous day that you've given us, one that once again was not promised to us. We just ask that you flood this place right now with your Holy Spirit. Open our hearts and minds to the messages that you've given Pastor Rob. And, uh, speak through him, Lord. Let every word be from you. And let it be applicable to our lives today so we can continue to bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we're actually here 31 years of being married. And the best part is we're in love at 31 years. We've raised three kids. And uh, I don't... Come up, honey. You can come up. And, uh, my message is more believable when Susie stands near me because you're like, wow, God has been gracious to this man. And um, I'll even let you just open us in prayer. She's loving that I did that. But I was thinking that um, 31 years together, and one of the great blessings was all through having kids, we were able to get away to this marvelous garden island called... Kauai because of Scott and Diane Reynolds. They, you know, we came, I came here once to do a wedding 15 plus years ago and Susie and I came and Steve goes, oh yeah, you stay with the Reynolds. And, and then Scott and Diane were like, hey, will you bring your kids back next year? And we're like, really? You want us to come back with our kids? Bring your kids back. Then our anniversary is coming. Are you coming for your anniversary? We're like, really? I come for your anniversary. And then we get home. They're like, when are the birthdays? Are you coming back? Like, and, you know, over the years, we've just fallen in love with Scott and Diane. Uh, they're like family to us. And, and yeah, isn't that amazing, just the, the way that the family of God can be so close like that? And here we are, our kids are all raised, and we've had just that grace on our lives to always be getting away and just enjoying the two of each other. And here we are, kids grown up, and we're in love. We, I think that's, a, that's just the greatest blessing and um, thank you for wanting to applaud. You know, normally I don't teach when I come. We just come to be doing nothing. And um, a little Dukes, a little Hanalei, a little Poipu, and that pretty much is our, our week. And But uh, we got closer and I could just sense that little nudge just saying, hey, just offer yourself to Steve. I don't normally do that, and I, so I just, you know, just one day just followed that nudge. Hey, Steve, I'm going to be there. don't even know if you want me to uh, teach or not, but I'm in the area. And, of course, he came back and said this weekend, but we didn't know that this was the week Steve and Anna needed to be at the hospital with their kids. So uh, God knows, huh, when we're following those little nudges. And you want to pray for the morning? Yeah. Let's pray. Lord, just thank you, God, that you say where two or more are gathered, you're here in the midst, God. And Lord, we just want to say welcome, and we love you, God, and open our hearts this morning, God, as we open your word, God, and speak to us, Lord, and Holy Spirit, I just pray, God, that you would be, Lord, just speaking to us individually, Lord, the things you want us to hear, Lord, and um, bless the service, Lord, and just speak through Rob, God, and just thank you for everyone here, God. We just love you and give you the glory in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to look at uh, Luke's gospel. We're going to look at five verses, and we'll pull it up on the screen. The most important question, I believe, it's the most important question ever asked. And if you have a Bible, you can look down at your Bible. If you want to look up at the screens, uh, most will be up on the screens today. But Luke 9.18, and we read, it happened as he was, and I want you to see this, as Jesus was alone praying. That his disciples joined him and asked them, saying, Who do the crowds say? He asked them, Say, Who do the crowds say that I am? And I want to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, what we see here first Jesus alone praying. And I want you to understand that Dr. Luke, we're reading Luke's gospel, Dr. Luke reveals more about Jesus' personal prayer life. I don't know if you knew that, than any of the other Gospels. So different Gospels have different emphasis. Luke really emphasizes Jesus' personal, intimate prayer life. In fact, as you go through this Gospel, Luke reveals that it's really central to all of Jesus' life 
and ministry. So let me just stop here for a minute and ask you a question about your, your prayer life. How would you describe, and I want you to just answer this in your own mind, be thinking of this, how would you describe your personal, intimate prayer life with God? Now, now, to be fair, right, none of us ever feel like we pray enough. It's kind of like being a parent. You never arrive being a parent. You always could have done a better job. The rest of our lives until the Lord comes, uh, we're going to uh, be growing in uh, intimacy with God in our prayer life. But how would you describe your prayer life? Would you describe your prayer life as you pray when you're in trouble? And, and you might hear that and go, you know, I know that's wrong. I know we shouldn't, we shouldn't just come to God when we're in trouble. I feel so bad. That is kind of how I pray. I get in trouble, then I need him, and I pray. And actually, that you should, that's not wrong. When you get in trouble, you should pray, even if you don't pray very much. God wants you to turn to him when you need help. You might even need help this morning. You might even be here, and this is the mail in your inbox. You need help. You're in trouble. And you know, even while I'm preaching, did you know that you're able to pray even while someone is preaching? We'll, we'll talk about that. So would you describe your uh, prayer life in tr uh, as more in tr when you're in trouble, or how about infrequently? You know, Rob, if we were just really being honest, it's, it's pretty much hit and miss. I pray a little bit, I don't pray for a while. I pray, I forget to pray. Pretty much infrequently. Would you describe your uh, prayer life as daily? Think about your own walk with God, your personal, intimate prayer life with God. Is that a daily thing? Remember, uh, Jesus taught us to pray, uh, and, and actually, he was praying, and the disciples came to him, and it's interesting that they didn't say, Lord, teach us how to preach. They didn't say, Lord, teach us how to do those miracles. Teach us how to do that water stuff, the walking on water. But what they said is, teach us to pray. And that's Luke 11. Luke is showing us this, that uh, I, I think even more than showing us, as you read Luke's gospel, Dr. Luke is prescribing that we need more prayer in our lives. And uh, the Lord answered them and said, okay, I'll teach you how to pray. And uh, pray, our Father who art in heaven, get your eyes off of all the things who art in heaven. Every, get them off everything and everybody and get your eyes on God, and hallowed be your holy, be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Lord, let your reign come to my life. Your will be done. I'm starting to pray. I don't want my will done on earth, or I don't want my will done in heaven. I want your will done here on earth, so your kingdom come, your will be done, and then you know we're not going to pray the whole prayer. It's just give us this day our Okay, so daily bread. So we could talk a lot about the rest of the prayer and what everything means. But uh, here we learn that Jesus taught us that prayer is to be daily. And he models that. We want to learn to pray every day. We don't want there to be a day go by where we don't pray. And, um, you know, in this chapter right before this, you learn of uh, Jesus before the mealtime. He uh, fed the 5,000 and he stopped and he thanked God. And let, let me just ask you, again, talking about your own personal prayer life, do you stop and thank God when you eat? I mean, it's a very simple thing, very simple thing to practice, very simple thing to skip over. But, you know, it, it can be a very powerful way to increase prayer in your life daily. If you were to stop at each mealtime and not just do a little, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, yay, God, you know, let's eat. But if you really did a, God, I, this day I wake up, I am truly thankful to you for everything. Before I have my yogurt or granola or pineapple or roll or burrito or whatever you eat. If you could just learn at lunchtime to just truly, truly, intimately, it doesn't have to be long either. Just, God, thank you. This day, my wife, our family, our kids, this trip, all you've blessed us with, thank you. We know what does a man have except for that which he's received from the Lord. I know that. Thank you. You know, you could increase your prayer life just by around the meal times, And sometimes that's so powerful um, for the people that are in our life, people that don't pray. Hey, would it be okay if I were about to have these acai bowls? Could I, could I, just, could I just thank God? You know, and you, and you don't want it to be this drawn-out religious thing, but God, 
thank you. Jesus, thank you. We're so thankful. Thank, thank you for Mary or thank you for Brian. Oh, they're a good, he's a good friend, Lord, and I'm, I'm thankful for him. Bless, bless my family. Bless his family. Bless this food. Amen. You know, it can just be short. And I think what ends up happening is people are kind of like, wow, like this, this isn't like religion. This person talks to God. This person knows God. You know, in the Psalms, David talked about in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. Well, that could be the meal times. He said, I cry aloud to God. And I wonder if I couldn't uh, teach you a daily routine. I wonder if I couldn't give you something that you could see if maybe, maybe you're on vacation now or, or whatever season of life you're in. See if, you couldn't, see if I couldn't give this to you. Try it. Try waking up in the morning before you get out of bed, before you formulate any thoughts for sure, before you reach for your phone. And just lay there and just say, "Good first thoughts, good morning, God. Try it. Just good morning. And what I, I try to do is I just say, good morning, God. Is there anything you want me to hear this morning? Anything you want to say to me? Anything you want me to know? Anything you want to bring to my remembrance? remembrance? Anything that you want on my heart? Because my heart's just going to fill up with stuff. But anything you want me to think as the day starts and throughout the day, it's just a, a great way to just sometime throughout the day just say, God, this is my check-in point with you. Middle of the day, just checking in. Just love you. Doesn't need to be deep. Any of you groan when you get into bed at night? Any groaners? Must just be me. Susie always laughs at me. I get in bed, I'm like, oh, you know, it's just like I just groan, get the covers, just kind of lay there, and then we talk for a while. I'm a, a mountain bike rider in, in Oregon, and I ride most evenings, so probably just the end of the day, my muscles are sore, I get in bed, I groan, and we talk a little, and, you know, kiss Susie goodnight, and then I like to just lay there and just see if I can't give it to you. See if you couldn't try it. Good night, Lord. You're so good. You've been so faithful. You gave me the strength today. Or, Lord, I'm devastated. I am devastated. I'm so hurt by what they did or what she said or what's happening. I, don't, I just collapse in your arms at the end of the day. You just know, God, this is more than I can bear. This is more than I'm able to stand up under. Just, I just place myself in your hands. Good night, Lord. See if, you, see if I couldn't give you those prayers. So would you say, how would you describe your prayer? Uh, in trouble and frequently, daily. There's even another place to come to. Maybe you know this. Maybe your mind's already going. I'm already thinking of this. Paul talked about it in 1 Thessalonians. It's called without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Is that really possible? You could pray without ceasing? Well, it certainly isn't talking about having your hands folded and eyes closed without ceasing. But it, there truly is. It's what church history, throughout church history, it's been named different things. But uh, in church history, it was called practicing the presence of God. We just get to a place in your life where, and you know, you just learn to be in conversation with God. I'm doing the dishes, and you're just talking to God. Talking to God about your kids, talking to God about your grandkids. You're talking to God about your husband. You're talking to God about your community, your church. You're just talking, talking about your day. Just, it's in your mind. You're just sharing with God. You might be out watering the plants, and you're just saying, thank you, Lord. Would you just water my husband? And he seems, he seems a little dry lately, or, oh, Lord, my grandkids, I'm so concerned for them. Could there just be living water pouring out in their world right now? And, you know, you just learn to talk with God. You're on an errand, and you're driving, and, you know, just, you, just, you can come to that place where you're just without ceasing learning to be in conversation with God. You know, even when someone preaches, you could be in conversation with God. You're able to kind of interact with God and talk to him and, and say, I don't want to wait till tomorrow morning. Good morning, Lord. It's great to be at church. And, and you know, I found this uh, without ceasing. Jesus said men ought to pray always and not lose heart or not grow faint. You wouldn't be so depressed and down and discouraged if you just learned to talk to God. And, and I've learned that, you know, whatever is stressing me out, things stress me out. Well, 
God wants me to talk to him about it. This is stressing me out. That's the conversation starter. Whatever is concerning me. Lord, I'm concerned. Well, when you're concerned, learn to pray. When you're burdened, I'm so burdened. I am so burdened for the situation. I mean, you might even say that. Learn to turn that burden into conversation with God. I'm so angry. I am just so angry. I am so mad. Well, learn to turn that anger into prayer. When you're the lowest, learn to turn that low place into conversation. Walk with God. Talk with God. When you're at your highest, I remember one of our daughters was married, and I performed the ceremonies for both my daughters. And on this night, all of our friends were over. We celebrated in the night hours. Everyone had left. And I just walked out, summer day, Oregon, under the star-filled sky, and it was just just remarkable few minutes with God. Like, thank you. Thank you. My marriage, my kids. Oh, Lord, just my daughter, my son-in-law. Thank you. Whether it's the lows or the highs, whether you're strategizing, now should we do this? Because on the one hand, if we do this, well, that could get us, well, maybe we should do this. Huh? Is that smarter? Is this smarter? Invest now, sell. Oh, I'm not sure. Lord, we could do, well, that doesn't make the most sense. And when you're strategizing, learn to talk to God. Oh, Lord, you can see so much better than I can see. Could you help me? Could you be speaking to Susie and I? Could you show us what to do? And here's a prayer. See if I couldn't give you a prayer that God has been so faithful to answer in my life. I, I hope I could give it to you. Come into Kauai and just put it in your basket before you leave today. God's been so faithful to answer. Lord, would you make it so clear that I can't miss it? God has been so faithful to answer that prayer. Lord, I don't know what to do. Okay, I just, and Lord, make it so clear. You know my heart, I don't want to miss what you have. See if you couldn't try praying that. God, make it so clear. And you know, when you think about it, what good does being stressed out do? What good does being burdened do? I'm so, I'm so weighed down. I'm such a big decision. So much weight. Oh, just don't know what we're going to, what good does that do? What good does being hurt all day? I can't believe they said that. I can't believe she said that. She has no idea. When those words came around, she, if she knew what that, what good does that do? Like that just makes you miserable. But if you could learn to talk to God, that's powerful. If your grandchild's burdening you of your child, your, your spouse, the situation, the fi finance, if you just learn to talk to God, just keep talking to him about it. You might be talking to him all day about it, praying, you know, over and over and over throughout the day. That's powerful, as we'll see. Let's, um, let's just, we're going to uh, study Luke 9, but we're going to just back up a little bit because I want you to see how much Luke talks about prayer, unlike the other gospel writers. Let's pull it up, or you can look there, Luke 3.21. It came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. Now, that's another study uh, lots of questions. I'm not going to answer those questions, why Jesus was baptized. But what I want you to see is at his baptism, Jesus was also baptized, and Luke, only Luke, shows you this. While he prayed, Matthew doesn't, Mark doesn't, John doesn't, only Luke shows us while he prayed, the heaven was opened, the Holy Spirit descended, in bodily form like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven. So what is, what is Luke showing us here about prayer? We'll see it all through the book this morning. We'll, we'll find these key passages. But Luke is showing us, among other things, that when Jesus prayed, heaven opened. Do you know that? When you pray, heaven opens. The more you pray, the more heaven opens on your marriage, your family, your life. When Jesus prayed, the Holy Spirit descended. Prayer is connected to the moving of the Spirit. That's going to be another one of Luke's themes. More than any other author, he's going to show us this through Luke and Acts. If you pray little, there'll be little move of the Spirit in your life. If you pray much, there'll be much moving of the Spirit in your life. 
It's while he prayed heaven opened. It's while he prayed the Spirit descended. It's while he prayed that the Father spoke. The Father speaking to you is connected to prayer. Little prayer, little hearing from God. Little mornings, Lord, is there anything you want me to know? Little, is the Father going to speak? Much prayer, Father, anything you want me to know? He's going to speak much. They're connected. Well, let's, let's just uh, keep moving because I want to get to Luke 9, but I want you to sense what's happening in this gospel. Look in Luke 5, 16. Just uh, jump over to a chapter, and, and it's up on the screen, or you can turn there. So Luke shows us he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Luke is showing this to us, but I believe he's prescribing it to us. This is what we need to do. We need to learn to often withdraw. This is talking about spontaneous. Man, you're over at the hotel. The kids are napping. You got a little bit of time. Go sit out on that log. Go sit over on that bench. Little time in the morning. Everyone else is gone. Take advantage of that. Withdraw. Get alone with the Father. You know, throughout your day, whatever your day looks like at home or in your normal routine, learn to spontaneous look for ways that you can just, for a little bit, you know, I think I'll, in Oregon, I think I'll pull down by this river for a little bit and just spend some time with the Father. Hey, there's a trail. I think I'm going to walk up to that bluff, and I know there's a bench up there, and I'm just going to sit for a half hour and just spend some time praying. Now, what we see in this Luke passage is, right before we read this, that um, Jesus was in real demand, Everybody wanted a piece of them. And I think that that makes this all the more impressive that the demand pushed Jesus to prayer, not from prayer. Well, we've got to learn that. The demand, when you're under a lot of demand, so busy I don't have time to prayer, that's when you need to recognize I'm so busy I can't afford not to pray. Let the demand lead you and push you to prayer. And then right after this Luke 5.16 passage, we read that there was power. He went away into the wilderness and prayed. Next verses, there was power present in his life. And what do we see? We see that prayer is connected to the power of God in our lives. I don't know if you, do you believe that? I believe that. Prayer is connected. We're in a church in Oregon on 55 acres overlooking our city with an amphitheater that holds thousands of people under 100-year-old oak trees. And we were once a church in a senior center. And hundreds and hundreds of young people come to our church. How do you get hundreds and hundreds of young people to come to a senior center? It's impossible. Prayer. Prayer is powerful. We waited on God. We waited. We prayed. We waited. We waited. We prayed. We prayed. We waited. God made it so clear we couldn't miss it. You know, I read this in a missionary's newsletter, I think last week, and I couldn't tell you a thing about the missionary's newsletter. And then I started laughing for service because I realized it's Jason Beale's newsletter. And uh, he's my dear friend, and I read that he, from this church, he's a missionary in Germany, and, and um, I read his letter, but the only thing I remember is Jason, we both have such a heart for prayer, he uh, gave this quote from church history, I can't remember who, and I guess it doesn't really matter who, but the quote says, and it so resonates with my soul, prayer, we'll put it up on the overhead, prayer links our soul to omnipotent God. Man, I read that newsletter. I could not stop thinking about that. Prayer is powerful. Little, puny, impotent, weak me linked to an all-powerful God when I pray. We have uh, prayer meetings at our church for 27 years on Saturday nights. And that has turned to daily prayer meetings every day at the church. And that's turned to weeks of prayer and fasting, a week of prayer and fasting every year. And you know what we learned as a church is prayer links our soul to omnipotent God. And being in all those prayer meetings, 27 years of Saturday night prayers and daily prayer and weeks of prayer, it's not even necessarily the things I'm praying about. 
It's just when people pray, God moves in power. I can't stop thinking about it. Prayer links my soul to omnipotent God. Okay, let's skip again. Luke chapter 6, and then we're going to go to Luke 9, and you're going to be feeling uh, all of what Dr. Luke has been wanting to show us. But look in Luke 6. It came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain. Luke shows us to pray. Only Luke's gospel, when Jesus chose the 12 apostles, does Luke show us he spent all night praying. Right? Luke is showing us this. He's prescribing it. When you have a big decision to make, how are you going to make that big decision? The way you want to make it is you want to spend as much time praying as you can. You don't want to look back and go, well, I, you know, it's Tuesday. I had to do something. Uh, sign the papers. We're going to do it. We're moving. You, you don't want to look back and, you know, you haphazardly just going maybe off of your feelings or going off of whatever was financially best. That can be a disaster. Who you're going to marry? Who you're going to date? Should we buy the business? Should we sell the business? Should we move? These big decisions. You want to look back at it. Well, I've got to make that decision November 15th. You know what? You want to look back. Yeah, you know what? The last half of October, at the beginning, I was praying and praying. I really thought God wanted us to do it. But, you know, the last two weeks, every day, God has been warning me not to do it. I have to say no. It's been two weeks now that God, every day, through something or another, God is speaking to me that the answer is no. And so we see this uh, modeled in Jesus' life. Well, let's come to our text, Luke 9, 18. And it happened, and now you can feel the full force of what Luke's been showing us. As he was alone praying, that his disciples joined him, and he asked them, saying, who do the crowds say that I am? Do you think that's by accident that Jesus spent time praying before he asked the apostles? disciples, the apostles, who the crowds thought he was. That's what our world says. Everything's just random. You're random. You're an accident. Everything. You know what? There's nothing random about this. In fact, what we learn from it is that prayer and people understanding who Jesus is is connected. So uh, I got saved when I was 18 all the wrong friends growing up. All the wrong decisions, bad decisions. My sister got saved. And she started praying for her brother, who was sneaking out of the window and climbing out, the, you know, out late at night. And, and she was at a house in the neighborhood. She started praying for me. For three years, she prayed for me. Guess where I got saved? in that living room where she prayed for me for three years. You know, prayer and people understanding who Jesus is is connected. Don't stop praying for your husband or your wife or your, your child that you're, you're burdened for or your daughter-in-law or your son-in-law or your grandchild. Prayer is connected. And so verse 19, so they answered and, and said, well, so, uh, you know, John, some say John the Baptist and John the Baptist had been uh, beheaded, but as you read it, so, some say you're John the Baptist risen from the dead. Because John preached repentance, you preach repentance, John baptized, you baptize. John was a fiery uh, preacher, you're a fiery preacher. Church tradition even says that these cousins looked alike. You know, it's kind of eerie sometimes how cousins will look alike. So, some say you're John the Baptist risen from the dead. Some say Elijah, the, the miracle worker, you're a miracle worker. And others that uh, say that one of the old prophets, Matthew's gospel tells us some said Jeremiah because Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. And when uh, Mary and Martha, when Mary was weeping, Jesus wept. Right? It's a... Uh, he, he felt what she was feeling. He, the Lord feels what you're feeling. And so uh, some say one of the old prophets, and he said, here it is. Here's the name of our message this morning. He said to them, who do you say that I am? So that's a question 
every one of us here has to answer. I think it's the most important question ever asked. Who do you say that Jesus is? And depending on how you answer that question, that answer will determine your eternity. And Peter answered and said, you're the Christos in Greek or or in Hebrew, you're the Messiah. We believe you're the Messiah. We believe you fulfilled all the, the Old Testament law and prophets and all the Sabbath. It all points to you, all the feasts, all the tithes. They all are pointing to you. Lord, we believe you're that promised Messiah. And then I want to put up on the screen, because it's just so powerful, Matthew's Gospel just gives us that little bit more detail. And I want to bring it up. Matthew 16, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, Bar-Jonah, or son of Jonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. Peter, you're blessed. This isn't of your own flesh and blood. My Father is showing you who I am. Peter, you've had a spiritual revelation. You're seeing it. You recognize I'm the promised Messiah. And I would ask you that question this morning. Have you had a spiritual revelation of who Jesus is? Do you understand that He's the promised Messiah? And you put your faith in Him, your trust in Him, and He's changed your life. He's changed your eternal destiny. Peter, blessed are you, and I say to you, now this is where I'm going to help you understand a little deeper what's being said. I say to you, you are Peter. In the Greek language, that's Petros. I say to you, Peter, you're, you're a little rock. And upon this, and the, the, the rock, the next word is Petra. Upon the massive Petra, the massive rock, I will build my church. This confession you've made, Peter, that Jesus is the Messiah, everywhere someone makes that confession, it's like building their lives on the chief cornerstone, the massive rock of Jesus Christ. Wherever there's someone confessing that Jesus is the Messiah. And that'd be a question to to ask myself, have I I confessed Jesus as the Messiah in, in such a way that my life is now being built on the chief cornerstone. There's, a, there's this one verse that comes to mind where Jesus said, we're all going to have two relationships. One of two to him is this massive Petra, the massive rock, the chief cornerstone. Jesus said, either you're going to fall upon him and you're going to be broken and you'll become a living stone, part of the church. Or one day, that massive rock is going to fall on you and grind you to powder. And I would strongly recommend the first. I would strongly recommend you come to your senses and recognize who Jesus is and and come to your knees and acknowledge him as the promised Messiah. And uh, Pastor Steve was sitting here at first service and I was looking at him. Pastors love this verse where Jesus says, I will build my church. Because we we know we, we can't do it. Jesus builds his church. And for over 2,000 years, Jesus has been building his church one living stone at a time, becoming part of a spiritual temple. And I guess that's, it just comes back to, is, that, is this really true? Is this, is this just words in your life? Or are you a true follower of Jesus Christ? Broken. You're now a living stone built on Christ. You're part of the church. Do you just go to church or are you really part of the church? And then the next verse is kind of, the next part of it is kind of heavy. I will build my church and the gates of Hades, some Bibles translate it, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What does that mean? It's, it's a powerful, powerful verse and promise. And here's what it means. And you know this, what I'm going to quote to you. To be absent for the believer. The believer has this hope, New Testament hope. To be absent from your body is to be present with the Lord. That's the believer's hope. We don't fear death. For the believer, you just one day you're going to die. 
you're going to go to sleep in this life, and you're going to wake up in Jesus' presence. You're You're not fearful of that. You belong to him. The gates of Hades, the gates of hell aren't going to hold you. Jesus has made a way to the Father, but this is what's so sobering about this. For the unbeliever, to be absent from the body is to wake up behind the gates of Hades. That's a sobering picture. And then the the book of Revelation ends with Hades is going to be opened up in the last days and all of the unsaved dead are going to stand before a great white throne and the books are going to be open and everybody's name not found written in the book of life is going to be cast in the lake of fire, the eternal destination. And, and, And John in Revelation says this, this is the second death. And you're like, I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound good. And it's not good. First death is your soul being separated from your body, awakening behind the gates of Hades. Second death is when your soul separated from God for eternity. And so this is a powerful promise if you've confessed Christ. If it's real, if it's true, if He's changed your life, if you're part of his church, you have that hope, the gates of Hades aren't going to hold me. Jesus has made a way. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Well, let's just read our last two verses. And he strictly, so Peter confessed, you're the Christ. He strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one. And you're like, what? Why We're supposed to tell everyone. Why would he be telling him to tell no one? Because this isn't the message. The message is not that we go telling everyone that Jesus is the Messiah. He strictly warned them to tell no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. That's the message. The message is not just Jesus is the Messiah. The message is Jesus is the Messiah. He was killed. He went to the cross. He rose again the third day. That's the message to go tell. They didn't have the whole message yet. He just told them to tell, tell no one. Could I just back up just for a minute before we, we, we close? And we're just going to be minutes away from closing here. But even that word, if it's up on the screen, verse 22, the Son of Man must suffer. Isn't that amazing that so often God's plan, God is a good God, God's a loving God, His plan involves suffering. Right? God is a God who lets bad things happen to good people. I don't know if you know that yet. In fact, can you name a book of the Bible where God didn't let bad things happen to good people? You can't. But what you get is that heavenly vantage point where you see, oh, oh, God always has a plan when he's letting us suffer. And God accomplishes things when we're suffering, and I know you know it's true in your heart, that he can't accomplish in good times. I'll tell you a true story. When I got saved, I made a deal with God. And the deal was, I'm all in. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you. And you're going to keep me from hard things. That's the deal. Um, And I shook on it. We shook together. I shook with God. That's the deal. I'm all in, and you're going to keep me from hard things. Took a couple years to realize I may have shook on that deal, but that's not the deal he shook on. The deal he shook on is I'm God. You're going to follow me. You're going to serve me. I'm going to do what's best for my glory and ultimately what is best for you that you're not going to understand when you're suffering. And you know, there's this verse that um, comes to mind, 1 Peter 4.19. Maybe you know it. It's a hard, hard verse to read. 
Therefore, let those who suffer, what? According to the will of God. Sometimes it's God's will for me to suffer. Yeah. Let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. God is so faithful. He never lets us suffer needlessly. He's always working. He's always taking us deeper. He's always forging something in the fire that is remarkable, that couldn't be forged apart from the fire. He's always dealing with the dross and the impurities by heating things up as much as we don't like it. But it's when that's happening, we just need to come to that place to say, God, you're good. You only do good, the Psalms say. You're a faithful creator. Okay, let's just come back and and land the plane here and finish. He strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying the Son of Man must suffer. This is the whole message. And be rejected. He was rejected that you could be accepted. He was killed that you could live. And then last of all, the message is that he may be raised the third day. And I'll I'll just finish uh, this morning with why is that so important? What's, why is that such an important part of the message? That Jesus is the Messiah. He was killed there at the cross. Why is it so important that he raised again on the third day? Because a dead Savior can't save anybody. It's the risen Savior that has saved every one of us. And I want to put the last verse of the morning up on the screens for you to be left with today. Listen to what Romans 4.25 says. You know it. Jesus was delivered up. That's a cross. At the cross because of our offenses. He took all of our sins there at the cross. He took the punishment. He took the judgment upon himself. He was delivered up because of our offenses. And then this is what I want to close with. And was raised because of our justification. What does that mean, raised because of our justification? What does justification mean? Maybe you know it. Maybe you're theological and you're like, oh, this is it. This is the heart of the whole New Testament. It is the heart of everything the New Testament teaches. Justification by faith in Jesus means, an easy way to remember it is, just as if I'd never sinned. The risen Savior interacts with Rob Verdine. I took all of your sins and now you're just as if you'd never sinned. And that's a nice little phrase to kind of help us get going in the right direction, but it's, it's not all of it. Justification is a legal declaration at the heart of the New Testament that when the sinner puts his faith in the risen Savior, the gavel is slammed down in heaven, and God declares the sinner not only forgiven, that's good news. Like Jesus took all my sins. He paid for them all. That's good news. But it's even better. Justification is when Christ's righteousness 33 years he lived a perfect life, fulfilling all of God's law, even the punctuation marks called jots and tittles. You know the little lines that make an L a T or the little dot on an I? That would be the equivalent of jots and tittles. His perfect righteousness has legally been put in Rob Verdine's account. That's justification. When the sinner interacts with the risen Savior, he not only forgives you of your sin, the great exchange takes place. He takes your sin, and for all eternity, he legally puts his righteousness in your account. And that's how God sees you. The rest of your life, God does not see you as a failure. He does not see you as a screw-up. He does not see all the ways you've failed. He sees Christ's righteousness. You're justified. 
Let's uh, stop here. Could you, could you just bow your head? Set things aside if you could. If you have an iPad on or phone open, just sit, turn it off. Turn it, set it aside. Bible open just for right now. Just close it and set it down. And I just want to ask a few questions as we're finishing. Ha have you ever come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah in such a way that it's changed your life? He died for you. He rose again. And it's changed you and you're a true believer in Jesus Christ. You're part of His church. Jesus is building His church and you're alive. You're a living stone. Or is it possible just as you're thinking and you're being honest that, that maybe that type of reality hasn't happened. That true believer where I've fallen upon Jesus and been broken and have come alive and I'm a living stone and part of the church if, if that's never happened, just in your own heart, just pray that. Just say, Jesus, I believe you're the Messiah. Just pray that. And just, just pray that. I want to be a true follower. Whoever you are, just, if you don't know that, now some know that. Some know that you. this is for certain. You know Jesus is the Messiah. You are a true follower. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to someone that you might not know that for certain, and you want to just tell Jesus, I believe you're the Messiah, and I want to be a true follower. I want to be a living stone in your church that you're building. If you don't know that, pray that. I want to be a, a true follower, a living stone, part of the church you're building. I want to use my life. I want to be, I want to be counted, and I want to be part of the church you're building. And I'm going to ask just another question as we're finishing. And you can just be really honest. Have you believed in Jesus in, in a way that you're certain that that great exchange has taken place? He took all of your sin there at the cross and legally Christ's righteousness now is in your account. You could check the balance and you know His righteousness is in your account. If you don't know that, pray that. If you don't, if you don't know that, just say, say a prayer in your heart. Say, yes, Jesus. Just pray that. Just say, yes. Yes, I believe you're the Messiah. Yes, I believe you died to take all my sins. Just say, yes. Yes, Jesus, I receive your righteousness. If you've never prayed that, if you don't know that you're justified, just pray that. Say, Jesus, I receive your righteousness and now my life belongs to you. If you're praying that in a saving way, just say that again. Say, and now my life belongs to you. Say that just from your heart. My life now belongs to you. And the, the last thing, if this is a saving morning for you, would you just pray? Holy Spirit, pray that Holy Spirit from your heart. Just pray, Holy Spirit, fill me and change me. Holy Spirit, fill me and change me. And just before you open your eyes, you could just keep your eyes closed for a minute. If you want to play just very lightly, you just, we just have that confidence. No one's looking. This isn't for anyone but you and God. I just want to know, and I want to be able to pray for you, if this is a morning, and I'm not talking about those of us that know the Lord, and we're always like just every day dependent on Jesus to be righteous, but if you're somebody that this is a saving moment, you are praying yes for Christ to take your sins, and yes for Christ's righteousness to be put in your account. If that was happening today, would you just lift up your hand? Because I, I want to pray over you. Beautiful. Yeah, anyone else? And Yeah, absolutely beautiful, both of you. And I'm just asking, were you praying that? If you weren't praying that, you wouldn't raise your hand. But if you sense that this is a saving morning for you, I'd, I want to be able to pray for you. This might be my only interaction with you, but I want to pray over you. 
powerful what God's doing if you were praying that. Anyone else? Two of you here this morning, this was a saving prayer, a saving cry, a breaking going on, a coming into the church, a true follower. Anyone else? You know, all I'm asking is, did you pray that? And, and you know, I just would say this. I think it will be healthy for you if you were praying that, that you identify that. You don't hide that. It will be healthy for you to acknowledge, yeah, this is a saving moment for me. Anyone else? Hold it up where I can see it. Yep, two of you. Beautiful. I'm just going to give the last call if someone wanted to be identified and not shrink back. And Lord, we just pray for these two men. Lord, thank you. Beautiful to see two men just breaking and falling on you, the Petra, the massive rock. And I, I encourage you two men, just even maybe with your hands, maybe just turn one of your palms or both of your palms just upward like, Lord, I'm receiving and we just pray for a generous, gracious work of your Spirit to just pour out on them this morning. For your glory. Amen. Those of us that know the Lord, Chauncey's going to lead us. Would you just pray for a couple minutes before you say anything, Chauncey? Let's stand up this morning. And why don't we just take a minute, just that personal, intimate prayer life. Why don't you just take the next 30 seconds and just talk to the Lord and thank Him and acknowledge Him. and Maybe things that are on your heart, people that are on your heart. Just talk to Him for a couple minutes, a couple seconds, 30, 45 seconds, and then Chauncey lead us.